the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He's been recognized as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings nearly 40 years of experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on Hallowed Ground. Horses raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on Hallowed Ground to sing this song away. Welcome to Ask a Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. If you haven't heard the show before, hey, welcome aboard. Usually the first part of the show we talk about estate planning and elder law. The idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount of taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court. That's avoiding probate and guardianship if possible. And as far as elder law is concerned, trying to save assets from nursing home bills. Today we're going to have a little bit different, we're going to be talking baseball. And I, I was sorry to hear that Roger Craig, I mean, he lived into his 90s. I was sorry to hear that Roger Craig passed away about 10 days ago. Now, Roger Craig was one of the guests on our show. We're going to repeat his interview. He pitched for the Brooklyn Dodgers, the New York Mets. He was in, between player and coach, he was in six different World Series for four different teams and really had a, a tremendous baseball career. And if they allowed pitching coaches to be elected into the Hall of Fame, I think he'd always be, you know, elected into the Hall of Fame as a pitching coach. But really a a truly remarkable uh, career. Like I said, there are not too many people who were in six different World Series, especially with four different teams. I mean, there were some Yankee guys who might have been in five, six, seven World Series for one Yankee team for years and years. But I think there are very few guys who've been in, you know, six different World Series for four different teams. So we're going to hear from Roger Craig. Also, if you remember, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we had on Anita LaCava, John Wayne's granddaughter, and she talked about the legendary stuntman, Dean Smith, who was, his first film was The Alamo with her father, John Wayne, and he also unfortunately passed away at the age of 90. At least what we can say on these guys when passing away, they lived into their 90s, so it's not like tragic, you know, deaths or something like that. So we're going to hear Roger Craig in a few minutes. Meanwhile, if you want to learn your estate planning and elder law, 
Give us a call at Connors and Sullivan at 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. We can talk things over. How do you get your house to your kids without with by say, with saving on taxes, not losing your house to a nursing home and avoiding probate on your house? So if you want those questions answered, give us a call at Connors and Sullivan at 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be talking. We're going to play a repeat of performance with Roger Craig. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors & Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500 or connorsandsullivan.com. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it harder to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress, a home equity conversion mortgage may be the answer for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. Give me a call so our team here at Contour Mortgage can show you how the loan program works and how much you and your family may qualify for. My job is to help you find the best solution for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this mortgage program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-954-7463. Once again, that's 888-954-7463, and you could be on your way to a better retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591, Contour Mortgage Corporation, NMLS number 34384, 990 Stewart Avenue, Suite 660, Garden City, New York, 11530, Licensed Mortgage Banker, New York State Department of Financial Services. Time now for Connor's Corner, where Mike takes a closer look at topics like history, politics, religion, and more. Here's Mike. Welcome to the Connor's Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. 1955. Our next guest came up with the Brooklyn Dodgers. He won a World Series game that year, and he played in another three World Series after that, and he coached the Detroit Tigers pitching staff in the 1984 World Series, and he managed the San Francisco Giants to a World Series. And that's our next guest, Roger Craig. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? We're doing pretty good. Now, as I mentioned before, we're taping this interview in Brooklyn. Where where we where are you originally from, and and how did you get involved with the Brooklyn Dodgers? Well, I'm originally from uh, Durham, North Carolina. Uh, 
the back of road, and uh, I was uh, I scouted by uh, Ranch Ricky's brother, Frank Ricky, and I signed with the Brooklyn Dodgers in 1950 and went to uh, Valdosta, Georgia, then to Newport News, and then I went in the armed service for two years and came out and pitched in Class B ball that year in the playoffs. And the next year, I, I remember Peppa Martin was the manager of Portsmouth. We beat Portsmouth, Newport News, and said, this guy's going to be in the big league soon. And the next year, I was pitching in the World Series. So what was it like? You're a rookie. You're pitching against the Yankees in the 1955 World Series. Well, you know, uh, I'd been been up there almost a half a year. In fact, just, I think it was yesterday was the first year I pitched in, the, in 61 years ago. The first game I pitched in the major leagues was against, uh, with Brooklyn against the Cincinnati Reds. Yeah. But uh, then then I, uh, pitching in the World Series, I pitched a half a year in the big leagues, and I was really surprised uh, when they, they started me. Uh, I was warming up in the bullpen just to get some work done on the third or fourth day game or something, and uh, Joe Becker, the pitching coach, said, sit down. I said, well, I need to throw something. He said, no, sit down. So after the game's over, Walter also walked up to me and said, you're starting tomorrow. I said, oh, my God, thank you very much. I can't wait to go. So anyway, that, that's the way it was. And I wasn't too nervous. I pitched a game. I think I pitched, for, what, six innings. And uh, we won the game. When I went, We went downtown New York. I had my mother was in, my, a couple of my brothers, and, and – uh, we ended up at that Great Boxers, had a restaurant there. I can't think of his name. What was his name? Great Boxer. Anyway, Jack Dempsey, he came over my table. He knew I was there, and he he said, what can I fix for you? I said, you wouldn't have no country ham, would you? I'm from North Carolina. He said, I sure will. I'll bring you some out. So he did. So we had a great time. And, and my mother and my brothers, when we went out in New York City, and they Saw my name up on the thing where it go running across the big building up there, and they were all excited. But it was a it was a a great day and a wonderful honor to to win a World Series game my first year in the major leagues, and that's the only year the Brooklyn Dodgers ever won. Right now, you had some great teammates on that 1955 team. Do you have any thoughts or recollections about them? Oh yes, in fact, the first major league game I pitched. Was in uh, in Brooklyn. I got called out. In fact, Tommy Lasorda and I pitched. A, we were playing for Montreal, a Triple A club for the Brooklyn Dodgers, and we pitched a double hitter, shot two both shutouts in in Havana, Cuba, and I got called to the big leagues. And uh, in fact, I got called the next day after I pitched. The Triple uh, uh, A manager, Greg Malibi, called me up to my room. I said, "Oh, what did I do?" He said, uh, "I said." Uh, he said, "Sit down on the." Table, I said, Oh my God, I'm going to get sent back to the AAA or double, double A or something. He said, You're pitching Sunday. He said, Well, you already told me that. You didn't have to tell me that again. He said, No, you're pitching in Brooklyn. And I called, then I called my wife from Havana, Cuba, and t- telling her I'm going to a big league. She said, You didn't realize how much this phone call is going to cost from Havana, Cuba to Montreal, Canada? I said, Honey, I'm going to big leagues. And she was worried more about the phone call. But anyway, that's the way it started. And then, uh, when I got to Brooklyn, I walked in that clubhouse and I saw Jackie Robinson, Gil Hodges, Pee Wee, Duke Stanton, Carl Erskine, Campanella, Newcomb, all those great players. I, I'm saying to myself, I don't belong here. 
Well, anyway, I pitched that that game that day and next day, and and uh, the, the clubhouse guy I said, "Where's my where's my locker?" He said, "Right over here, sir." And had it a big ten penny nail. So we had real in Brooklyn. I don't know if you remember going in the club, but you, you probably. But anyway, it was a real small clubhouse, and the lockers were real small back in those days. And it was just a ten penny nail. I said, "Okay." But after I pitched the game and won, I come back. I had my own locker, so that was my uh, kind of the, the tip. Of the great things that happened uh, that 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 wonderful day. It was July the sixteenth. Now, what was the date of that? I forgot what. Nineteen fifty-five. Yeah, July. Yeah, I know it was nineteen fifty-five. I think it was July the sixteenth. Okay, we'll look it up and we'll tell the listeners a little later. Now, you you stayed with the Dodgers for a few years. You moved out to the West Coast with them. You had a good year in 1959 when they won the pennant and World Series again. But, you know, uh, what happened there, the last game of the season in 1957, I'd had a so-so year, and we we were playing in Philadelphia. It was a cold, sleeting night. It was the last game of the season. And I pitched, and something popped in my shoulder, and I pitched about seven, eight innings. So I didn't tell nobody, but, you know, the season's over, so I, I didn't tell nobody but my wife. I went in spring training early and threw and got some balls and got thrown against a wall down there in, in uh, Dodger Town. And, but my arm never came back, to make a long story shorter than that. So I spent most of that year in uh, uh, 58, in, no, 50, yeah, 58 in St. Paul. And came back. Then I went to the uh, went to the big leagues and pitched real good in '59. We played the White Sox in the World Series. I didn't pitch too good in the World Series, but I pitched pitched good up until that time. Let me ask you, going back to '55, who were some of the batters you faced in the 1955 World Series? Oh gosh, all of Mickey Mantle and uh, Yogi and. In fact, I think I got a base hit. To, I was a bad hitter, but and I got a base hit off of Wadi Ford in that game. Uh, uh, Elson Howard, remember the, uh, the first pitch I threw a high fastball to Elson Howard, and I was a little bit kind of squeezable, a little bit nervous. And he swung and missed. I said, God, if he can't hit that well, he won't hit my good fastball. So that settled me down, and I, I felt that, well, I had the good enough stuff to beat these guys. And, uh, you, know, you know, they had... Uh, I think Herb Norton was on that ball club. Uh, they had a one, you know, they had a, a Mantle and Maris one on that club, but uh, they had a, a, a great hitting lineup. A lot of us in New York, what we remember you from is your time with the New York Mets. Yes, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, well, you, your manager was Casey Stengel. What was it like yeah. playing for Casey Stengel? Uh, it was it was a lot of fun. He, he, I don't know for some reason he always called me Mr. Craig. I, I think he didn't know my first name, so they called me Richard, uh, Mr. Craig. But he was fun to play with. He was a, uh, and the years the years went on, and uh, when I was pitching for the Mets, and uh, I, I was pitching a lot, and I had even though my record was bad, I had a lot of complete. In fact, I think I had about 27 complete games there in my two years, and. Uh, but he, I'd, we pitched on the fourth day, and on the day I was supposed to throw in between, he said, Mr. Craig, I don't want you to throw. Just in case we've got a lead, I want you to come in and pitch the ninth in. I said, okay, no problem. But anyway, I did that a couple of times. But he was uh, he was really 
as you well know, the media loved him, and the, he was he was just a, a lot of fun to play for, and I really enjoyed it. And he told me both years I pitched there, even though my record was bad, he said, "You call me after the season's over, and I'm gonna get you a raise the way you pitch." And he, I, I call him, and I, I forgot who the general man, maybe Bill DeWitt. And uh, it was George he, Weiss, but George Weiss, that's who it was. Yeah, and he said. Uh, and he, I got a raise both years. So, but Casey was, he was a, he was a, a lot of fun to play with. He kind of lost, you know, at that time he was pretty old. And uh, I think, in fact, I remember at home plate, he had his 75th birthday, and, and they gave him a real big cake, about four, five, five foot tall, big cake, and they was presenting it to him at home plate, and and they called him to the got on the microphone they called him to the plate home plate and, and he said some of you guys come up there and help me bring this cake back and Mar, uh, not Mar, Faye Thronebury was playing first base and didn't have the greatest hand in the world and he jumped up and said I'll go help you Mr. Stinger he said no you no you might drop it it's somebody else to go out there <laughs> but that's that's what it was he, but he was one of the great things I remember about him I remember at the, uh, they always had the big uh, opening day. They had a, not opening day, but they had the big uh, uh, meeting. Not a meeting, but representing the ball club, uh, introducing the ball club. They said the thing they had in New York every year. So that Casey was talking. He was going down the lineup, and he he went down the starting lineup, and he went down. I think I was. I was I know I was a pitcher in uh, Hobie Landers and Gil Hodges and Felix Mantia, I think Charlie Neal was a second baseman, maybe Don Zimmer the third baseman. And he was going around memorizing all these guys and he go he had Frank Thomas in left field and Richie Ashman in center field and now he got to the right fielder and he couldn't think of his name. And he kept going on and said, Now nah, right fielder is a good He's left-handed hitter, and he played with the Cincinnati Reds, and this and that, and and uh, he could. We all knew he couldn't think of his name. He said, "And he'll be ready when bell rings." And that's his name, Gus Bell. That <laughs> 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 was so funny. <laughs> yeah, but he was uh, he was a lot of fun to play for. Now, after that, you got traded to the Cardinals, and that was a pretty good break for you. Yeah, I went. Uh, I went from a last place club, and I won a game in the World Series. And that was a, a funny situation, not a funny situation, because I pitched pretty good for the Cardinals at relief and starting. And the and this game was the fourth or fifth game, I forgot. And Johnny King was the manager of the Cardinals. And he told me before the game, he said, now when race the deck is going to start, he said, I want you to start throwing in the bullpen. I said, Mr. King, why didn't, why didn't you start? He said, no, Ray won 25 games and he's just there. I said, okay. So I go down there and, and for something, and I think I don't think Ray got but one hit, maybe one guy out of two. And I came in the first inning, and Bob Uke always tells a story. He was in the bullpen. He said, he says Roger jumped over that ten foot fence in the bullpen just to go to get to get a chance to pitch, and I pitched four and two thirds in, allowed one hit, and then uh, God, what's the guy's name? He pitched the last four innings and didn't allow a hit. Ron Taylor. And then uh, he actually he became became the doctor for Montreal for a long time. The Mike Steele, medical doctor, yeah, yeah, he was, yeah. 
But anyway, that was between the two of us. I allowed one hit. He didn't allow one hit. We had eight, two, eight and two thirds in there without allowing it. Only one hit. So that was a, a a great thing. And you know, and to this day, every time I see Ron, we have a lot of fun talking about it. But uh, that uh, that was another very important game in my life. I, well, I won the, I beat the Yankees twice. And uh, about ten years apart, and uh, one was in Ebbets, one was in Ebbetsville, and one was in Yankee Stadium. Yeah. Okay. Now that second team, Mickey Mantle's still there. Yogi Berra is the manager at that point. Uh, Roger Maris is there. There's a lot of other great ball players there. Oh, then in, in 1964. Oh yeah, yeah. They they had a t- turn over their ball club. Yeah, yeah. They still naturally still had a great ball club. And it seemed like Yogi played forever. I remember I threw him. I think it was in the first, first game in uh, Yankee Stadium. I had two strikes on him. I said I'm gonna bounce this curveball and get him out. And I threw him a curveball. And it would it would have hit home plate if he hadn't swung it. And he swung it and hit a double to right center field. But they said said you can't pitch him in his way because he's gonna hit it no matter where you throw it. Now, who are some of the guys you played with on the Cardinals? I mean, we know you know Ken Boyer, Bill White, Dick Grote. Um, Dick Grote, uh, Bob Buke was one of the catchers. Uh, uh, what's the guy still announced it with the Cardinals? Tim no, no. Well, Tim was there. Tim McCarvey, but yeah. But then the other, the other guy's still there. Uh, Matt, uh, he was a left fielder. And, and then we had, uh, gosh, a uh, center fielder was... Uh, Kurt Flood. Uh, Kurt Flood. And the right fielder was, God, a guy that just had his amphitheater. Uh, Lou Brock, I think. Lou Brock was out was the right fielder, and, uh, and we had a, a pretty good pitching staff. I can't think of all the guys that were there, but uh, Bob Gibson was one of them, and uh, what a great pitcher he was. Uh, I think we had the left-hander was or race the deck, and then we had another it was a real good pitcher. He pitched a long time with Philadelphia, and then he came over to us. Yeah, he was there for a little bit. I think that might have been his rookie year. Yeah. But we had a good ball club. And uh, so it was a, a great World Series, naturally. After you playing days were over, you became a pitching coach, and you were one of the most established and well-respected pitching coaches in the game. And in 1984, you got a chance to be in the World Series again. Right, with the Cincinnati. I mean, uh, Detroit. Yeah, you know, when I was right at the end of my career, I wanted to be, I never thought about managing. I wanted to be a pitching coach when I retired. And right at the end of my career, which, which I forgot, 1964, I forgot. But anyway, I used to go around to guys like Robin Robinson uh, and ask them get the different questions about, you know, what was their main thought when they were pitching. And uh, Warren Spahn and all the great pitchers. And I'll never forget what Robin Roberts told me. He said, when I throw to that catcher, I don't throw to the glove. I try to throw through the glove. And that really made a lot of sense. And I used it a lot when I was a pitching coach. And 
and I enjoyed being a pitcher. I was a pitching coach for gosh, 13 years, I think. And then, yeah, that would, that time would spark in Detroit. And, uh, and we had a great young ball club at that time with Alan Trammell and uh, Gibson and Whitaker and, and uh, Lance Parrish and Jack Morris. We had a really good ball club. You got a chance to manage in the World Series a little bit later on. Yes, I did during the the earthquake. You know, we were playing really good at that time, and uh, but Oakland had a great ball club, and they naturally had a better club than we did. They had that outstanding pitching staff, and uh, but we lost the first two games. Then we came back in Oakland. Then we came back to play in, at the at Candlestick, and uh, the game was the natural game was called off, and we didn't play for twelve days, and it just got. We were playing really good at the end, and I—I I don't know if we'd ever won it or not, but we—I think we'd have given them a lot better uh, run at it if if we hadn't had to wait for 12 days to play. In fact, some of the players from both teams said that they ought to call it off and all that, you know, because of the people that lost their lives and things like that on that freeway, uh, Bay Bridge deal. So, uh, but uh, you know, as I look back, I. Was, Decent pitcher, and I, was, I really I enjoyed being a pitching coach, and I, I pitched in the World Series and coached in the World Series and managed in the World Series, so I uh, uh, pretty good for old country boy from Tobacco Road. Right, and of course, what sixty-one years ago you started with the Brooklyn Dodgers. Yeah, my first game in the in the major leagues, and the first game I ever saw in the major, I, and I pitched a complete game victory. And uh, after the game was over, Walter also walked up to me and said, "Kid, you got to go to you know, your family in Montreal." I said, "My wife and baby's up there." He said, "Well, uh, uh, go back. You can, you're allowed to go back and get your wife and come back, and you're not going to pitch for four days. Back we pitched on the fourth day on it." And I'm asking how to get to the airport, and people said. Uh, so, and one guy was telling me, said, well, you got to go take the L train and go underground. I said, what do you mean i got to go underground? And I was trying to talk to somebody about, you know, how to get there. And Jackie Robertson walked up to me. I'll never forget it. He said, come on, kid, I'll give you a ride. I sort of on my way home. And I got in the car, and I was so nervous being around him and knowing what all he'd been through and been from the South myself. And uh, But he never said a word about himself. He talked, the only thing he talked about was it the game I pitched and what he thought was that I had a chance to be a good major league pitcher and be around a long time and all. And then I found out later on that he didn't, that, that was not on his way home. He went out of his way to, to uh, take me home. I never forgot that. In fact, I'm looking at something out on my desk here uh, about a day to remember the pride of Brooklyn. And that was what it was. That's dated in, uh, from Dave Anderson. You remember him, sports? Yeah, this is a this is when he picked me up. Yeah, took me out there. But he was a great teammate, and I mean, he was a great man. You know, a lot of people don't realize that when he signed a contract, before he signed the contract, Branch Rickey told me and said, "Now, before you sign this, I got to tell you something." He said, "Yes, sir, Mr. Rickey." He said, "You know, I said you." He said, "You are not allowed to fight back." He said, "What do you mean?" He said, "I'm too big. A, I'm a, been a great competitor. I can't quit doing this." Well, you're going to have to for a couple of years till you get established. 
and he did that. But once he actually, I got there in '55. I think he came up in I don't know '48 or somewhere in there. And uh, but once he got settled and and had a little experience and played up two or three years there, then he started to fight back a little bit. And it was a different story. He because he was such a great competitor, he wasn't afraid of nothing. I've seen him a couple of times. He'd get knocked down, and he'd turn around and catch a, tell that catcher. He said, he told the catcher, he said, tell him not to do that anymore. If he does, I'm going to run up his back. And if some of them do it, he'd bunt the ball hard to it to second base from, and the pitcher would go field the ball, and he'd run right over that pitcher going to first base. He'd go out of his way to do it. But he a lot of things he did uh, that was so, I mean, he's just such a great, he went, he couldn't run that good, but he was a great base runner, especially stealing home and, Going to extra base, I remember in the World Series in Ebbets Field, he hit a double to to left field. I forgot who was playing left field for them. Anyway, he kind of rounded second base and he threw the ball behind. The, he threw the ball to second to the second baseman behind him, and Jack had just walked to third base. He was just that intelligent as far as base running was. was. But he was he was a great man. He too bad he. Died so young. I think he died when he's about fifty-three. By the way, you know we we had a guy on a, a couple of weeks ago, Bob Aspermani, who was talking about trying to get Gil Hodges in the Hall of Fame. Do you have any opinion on that, or you played with him more oh, than yeah. a few years? Yeah, I'm, Bob Aspermani was a great friend of mine, and uh, to this day he still is. But you know, Gil was kind of a—he was such a low-key guy. He never said much. He never. Uh, he was never controversial. He just—he's one of the nicest guys I ever met, and a great defensive first baseman. And he was a good hitter. And I remember sometimes when I was pitching back in those days, you—you could the ball would slip or the umpires didn't rub them up good, and you allowed one of the infields to rub it up for you. And I'd take a ball and throw it to Gill. He just twist it one time and he throw it back to me, and the cover was loose. I mean, he was that strong. His hand was that big. And he was just, when you play, uh, play for him, he said, uh, you know, play with him, he just, he was so, uh, he could come over and talk to me when I got in trouble and just say hey, it's something real. He was never got excited. He'd say, hey, this guy, you can get this guy out, no problem. Get him, just throw a pitch him, blow it away, make him hit the ball on me, I'll get it. And But he was just like him and Pee Wee were very good at doing stuff like that, but Yes, I think Gil Hodges should be in the Hall of Fame. He should be in the Hall of Fame because just of his character. He was such a wonderful man and a wonderful wife, Irene. By the way, when you were playing in Brooklyn, where'd you live? We lived, uh, actually, it was close to, uh, my wife's sitting out there, she remember that better than me, close to the Staten Island Ferry. Somewhere where it docked. It was really close. To, uh, I can't think of the name of that neighborhood, but Bay a lot Ridge. of guys live. Bay Bridge. Bay, yeah, Bay, Bay Ridge. Bay Ridge. Bay Ridge, yeah. yes. Yeah, that's where it was, right around in there. And we lived in a, uh, one of those, like a little apartment building. We lived on the top floor and all. And and I had a, a, lawn, a lawn was like big as a card table. And I used to kid to go, you guys. I said, I cut my lawn today. I used a pair of scissors because it was so, so small, you know. But we, not, we, we had a great restaurant around there, and we, and we, we, we pooled and rode together to the ballpark. And uh, 
so I'd get in a car sometime and I'd sit with Campy and Gill and Erskine and Snyder and I was really honored to play with all those guys. They were a great bunch of men. In fact, last year I went back to L.A. They had a reunion of the 1955 Brooklyn Dodgers and the 1965 L.A. Dodgers together. And there's Newcomb was there, and I was there, and Ed Roebuck. Uh, Sandy was there, but he didn't. He didn't. That was when he was a rookie. I think I don't know if he pitched much then. <coughs> Sandy Colfax. Sandy Colfax, yeah. But uh, it was Don Luke and I became close friends all the time and still are. And he's not doing too well now, but uh, not many of us left. The fact is, Erskine couldn't make it for some reason. I got a nice letter from him not long ago. He's 90 years old. And uh, I think the only ones left now are Erskine and myself and Roebuck Newcomb. And Colfax was there, but he didn't pitch a lot. I don't think. I can't think of anybody else was there. Yeah, Don Drysdale died young. Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, he wasn't there anyway that year. Yeah. He was oh, next year. he was next year. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He died when he was gone. He was. I think he died when he was fifty-three, and that was his number he wore all his life. He died in a hotel room somewhere. I forgot where it was. What a great competitor he was. Him and Colfax were really unbelievable. And uh, I remember that year they held out for $100,000 a piece, and now they'd be making $50 million. Right. <laughs> now, talking about a competitor, I remember when I was a little kid one time, you had an altercation with Orlando Cepeda. Can you tell us yeah. about that? Yeah, I was, uh, I was, I was pitching with the uh, Dodgers, and uh, actually, I was pitching for the Mets. And we were playing in the stick, Candlestick Park, and uh, it's ironic I ended up managing there. But anyway, Casey told him before the game, he said, Mr. Craig, let me talk to you before you go out and pitch. And how about loosening some of them guys up? They've been digging in and hitting, wearing us out. I said, okay, don't worry about it. So I go out there, and I, I think about what in it was, second or first in, and, and Willie Mays was the hitter, and I brushed him back three times, and finally I knocked him down. And, and I'll never forget what he told me one time. He said, he said, Roger, I know you pitched me inside a lot, said, but from now on, throw it to my head because I ain't going to be there. <laughs> and he was right. Anyway, I walked him, and then Cepeda was the next hitter, and I, was, I got a, a threw two balls inside, threw one kind of real close to him inside. He kind of picked both arms up and looked at me. So then I hit him right in the side. I didn't really want to hit him or start a fight or anything like that, but I was doing what the manager told me. And and then instinctively, when I oh then then I tried to pick off play. Our shortstop was Elio Chacon. I had threw a, a, uh, we had a pickoff play. And I threw the ball to second base, and and he really uh, slid back into the base. He kind of and really didn't want to fight. He never got in no fights. He didn't want to fight. He just kind of grabbed. Chacon was wrestling with him, and instinctively I started going towards second base, and I turned around, and here comes Cepeda. And right, we turned, we, uh, right there, in the, that's when we got into a little bit, and both of us got our cuts in there and all that. And, and to this day, when I see him, he hugs me, and I hug him, and we laugh about it. He said, that was a lot of fun. and said, I know you 
didn't like to do that. But anyway, that's the way it happened. Yeah, but I think you, I was, you were standing and he wasn't at the end, wasn't it? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I remember Ed Bailey, their catcher, jumped me on the back and grabbed both of my arms. And I said, man, let me go. I got no protection. And the one thing I remember, he stepped on my left foot with those spikes like they had back in the old days and went all the way through my shoe and about a quarter of an inch of my, into my foot. And I still pitched a little bit more after that with that, but it, my foot was bleeding pretty bad. But then it's amazing that I ended up managing the Giants in Ed Cattlestick Park. In fact, they sent me two chairs uh, from the, when they tore the side down, and I got it sitting in my backyard with a, my daughter made a big picture and all, and I call, it's called Roger's Bullpen, and I got those two orange chairs sitting in, in there, which I'm very proud of. What'd you do after your baseball career was over? Well, uh, actually, my last year was with Philadelphia, and Ed Roebuck and I got playing for Gene Mock. We got released the same day and was doing the, the strike, the airplane strike. We had a, we rode a bus to Chicago, and we finally ended up catching a flight out of Chicago. But uh, I didn't. Uh, I didn't do. No, I didn't. I don't think I coached. I didn't scout no one. That was in 1964. And I, 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 I did go to. Uh, I went to what's the name of that town up in, around San Francisco. Some. Uh, I went up and pitched a little bit on a Triple A club, and Bob Lemon was the manager. And. Uh, he, and uh, he he told me, he said, I want you to coach third base when you're not pitching. I want you to work with these pitches while you're here and all this and that. I said, I'll do whatever you want to. And I said, well, tell me what your signs are at third. So he said, I don't have no signs. Let them do what they want to. And that's the way he was, the way he managed. I, I'm sure he beat, probably did a lot of that when he was managing the Yankees. But that was in 65. Uh, and, uh, and that was the last thing I, I I uh, I never I don't think I ever went back into professional baseball after that. Uh, I was well. I was well. That's when I went. Then I oh yeah, I went to the Dodge. The next year I went to the Dodgers as a minor league coach. Uh, uh, go around the minor leagues and work with the pitchers and all that and the catchers. And then I went to manage. Uh, Albuquerque, their Triple A Farm Club, for one year, and then uh, I think that was in '67 to '68. In '69, the Padres, their first year, I became the pitching coach for the uh, for uh, Padres here, and uh, for four or five years, then I went to pitch for uh, I was pitching coach for. Uh, Houston for a couple of years and back to the Padres. And then I managed the Padres in 78 and 79. In fact, the first year I managed, we won 84 ball, 84 ball games. But uh, Ray Kroc owned a ball club at that time. And, you know, the great guy that started McDonald's. And he got me Raleigh Fingers and Gene Tennis to one year. And we'd won 84 games. And he said, how many games do you think you can win? I said, and before I could answer, he said, you, you should win them all. 
And I thought he was kidding. And he said, I said, well, sir, if we win 98, if we lose uh, 62 games, he said, lose 62 games, there's no way you can do that. I said, well, we're going to win 100. We're going to be in first place and could, got a chance to go all the way. But he actually believed, he said, you should win every ball game. And I thought he was kidding, but he wasn't. So, man, he was a brilliant man, but not in baseball. <laughs> <laughs> I got another question. Uh, you, you coached for the Detroit Tigers in 1984, and a guy's been on our show a few times, and a friend of ours, Tom Monahan, owned the team then. Did you have any interaction with him? He was the – he was uh, – no, he wasn't a player, was he? No, the owner of the Tigers, Tom Monahan. Yeah, Domino's oh, yeah. Pizza. Yeah, that's all. Oh, yeah, no, I know I met him a lot and I talked to him, but I never got you know close to. Him. We never, we didn't see him very much often. Yeah, I remember that pizza boy. We got free pizza. Okay, I was just wondering, he wasn't like a George Steinbrenner type of owner then. Pardon me. He wasn't a George Steinbrenner type of owner then. No, because yeah, we never hardly saw him. In fact, when he came to the clubhouse, nobody hardly knew him. So still, somebody said that's him. And then, no, he was. Uh, I remember when I pitched for the Mets and lost all those games. Uh, a lot of people ask me, even writers, people like yourself, you wouldn't probably do it. They say, "Are you ashamed of that your record there?" I said, "I said no, I'm not. I'm not ashamed. I said I'm not proud of it, but I'm not ashamed of it because I pitched good. I pitched 27 complete games, and we only won 10, 40 the first year, and I won 10 and all. But we were in a." Uh, I was with the Cardinals somewhere. I think we was in the motel uh, having lunch one day. And, uh, oh, God, I lost his name. The great the guy, that, he had just had one leg. who was a coach. Bill Beck was sitting in there, and, and he, I was sitting there. I noticed him, and he called, he looked at me and called me over. I went over to his table, and he said, I'm going to tell you something. With all the things you went through as a, with the Mets said, just yeah, someday you're going to be a good coach or a manager in baseball. I never even thought about it, but I'll never forget that, though. Well, listen, you you know, you're talking about, four. I think, 14 complete games, one year, 13 another. They're, most teams don't have 10 complete games now. A lot of teams don't even have three or four complete games. Well, I know. Well, back in the old days, you you know, you, and Casey left me in there because he kept, he knew I was pitching good and, and, uh, Hopefully we'd get a win. And, he, and I heard Casey said he's the best pitcher I got, so what am I going to do? I'm not going to take him out of the game. Now let me ask you, your your pitching coach was Red Ruffing then, which is kind of legend from the Yankees in the 30s. Was he an active pitching coach? Or? Uh, no, we had another guy, too, that was there. It was a real big problem, Rogers Hornsby. Yes, great, one of the greatest hitters. But they, they never did. They 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 had they hadn't been coaches in a long time or whatever. They they just got them for their name and all. And no, they really didn't. And God bless them. They were great uh, Hall of Famers and all that. But they were they were not really what you call good coaches. They never spent much time with you. They just make you tell you to go out and run and do this. And and uh, they never did get detail. I always thought to myself that if I ever become a pitcher coach, I'm gonna work hard to to work every one of my pitches to make them better. But they didn't do that. They didn't. Back in those days, if not only them, but a lot of the older guys like that, they they become coaches, and but they didn't teach you nothing. They didn't. They didn't know how to teach. They didn't know how to relay the things that they had done and, and how to do it for us to do. 
All right. Well, listen, thank you very much for sharing your memories. You know, those of us in Brooklyn and New York greatly appreciate it. And obviously, you know, listen, being a New York Met fan in 1962, you won 10 games. The team won 40 games. To me, that's a tremendous accomplishment. And playing in the major leagues is a tremendous accomplishment. So, and you know, when you did it for years and you were in four World Series and you beat the Yankees twice in the World Series. So what more can you have for a career? Yeah, I know. I was, I was very, in fact, uh, Bob Brinley, who I, was one of my catchers at, at uh, San Francisco, and then when I became a manager, he was a broadcaster, and I got him, a, anyway, he ended up being one of my coaches, and uh, then he became a manager of uh, the Diamondbacks that one year, and he called me to come to spring training and help him and all this, and, and he gave me a they won the world. That was his first year, and he won the world championship. Only two guys done that. The other guy was the guy managed the Yankees so long. Uh, uh, you got to help me out. Managed the Yankees so played, long when? Uh, back in those uh, before that. Well, I can't. Uh, I, I would say, hmm. But he managed when I was. No, gosh, I don't know. But if. Uh, I don't know. I can't. I, I, I'm sorry. I just can't think of his name. Ralph. Ralph. Ralph Howard. Right. Yeah. Ralph. Yeah. 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 So uh, I forgot what I was going to talk about then. But uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, it was Ralph Howard. Yeah. And uh, you know another catcher, but. But listen, thank you again for your Casey Stengel stories, talking about Gil Hodges, your career, and sharing the time with us. And, you know, we're actually we're taping right now from 74th Street and 5th Avenue, I guess only a few blocks from where he used to live in Brooklyn. Yeah, that's right. Exactly, yeah. I lot, you know, a lot of times when I was with, with the Brooklyn Dodgers, a lot of times we'd go out to eat, a bunch of us, four or five of the ballplayers and our wives and all, we'd go to different restaurants. And a lot of time we went to pay the check. And the owner would say, it's already been paid for. And we said, who did it? We want to thank him. He said, well, they already gone. We first tell them we even met who did it. That's just the way the fans were. Well, they were unbelievable. In fact, the first game I, I won at Ebbets Field, and standing in the outfield the next day, and, and I'm talking to Gil, Hot, I mean, uh, uh, Carl Erskine, and he's telling me, you know, he said, you know why you pitched so good? He said, you didn't have a chance to sit around and get scared. <laughs> but he said, and then when I was talking to him, some guy in the stands, he said, hey, Craig, you bum, you'll be back in AAA in another week. And I looked around, Carl said, don't say nothing. He's, 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 that's a compliment. He means it well. <laughs> that's what they, they call you a bum. They loved you. Yeah, but okay, I, you know, I, I was very fortunate. I had a, I think back in my career, and I just, you know, I, I was living in Durham, North Carolina, where they made the, movie Bull Durham when I was a kid I used to stand out and, in the, behind the, the we couldn't pay to get in the ballpark and we'd stand out and get foul balls and if you got a a, a ball you could go and go into the get free passing but if we got a good ball we'd keep it to to play with but I'll never forget that and I said boy if I could just play for the Durham Bulls I'd be the happiest guy in the world and here I'd done all of that stuff with, with a lot of help and I, I was very fortunate Again, thank you for uh, sharing your memories. We really appreciate you. We, we wish you well. Say hello to your wife. I sure will, and thank you. And you get a free dinner if you ever get to Brooklyn. Well, tell all my fans back there hello, and I, I still think about them. They're, they're the greatest fans in the world. Well, thank you. 
How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500 or connorsandsullivan.com. Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit CCB. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it harder to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A home equity conversion mortgage may be the answer for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. Give me a call so our team here at Contour Mortgage can show you how the loan program works and how much you and your family may qualify for. My job is to help you find the best solution for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this mortgage program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-954-7463. Once again, that's 888-954-7463, and you could be on your way to a better retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591, Contour Mortgage Corporation, NMLS number 34384, 990 Stewart Avenue, Suite 660, Garden City, New York, 11530, Licensed Mortgage Banker, New York State Department of Financial Services. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. I hope you enjoyed our baseball nostalgia talking to Roger Craig. I, I think right now, and I could be wrong on this, but I think the only two members of the 1955 world champion Brooklyn Dodgers still alive are Sandy Koufax and Carl Erskine. And I understand there was just a PBS documentary about Carl Erskine, which congratulations to him. So, you know, 55, I guess what's that, 68, 60, 68 years ago roughly. So there are very few members of the Brooklyn Dodgers alive, I guess right now too. Um, baseball, I think, is part of American culture and, of course, biggest part of American culture is July 4th. So everybody enjoy Independence Day. Remember why why it's called Independence Day. It's when the Declaration of Independence was signed, you know, in 1776 
roughly on July 4th. And let's not forget the brilliant minds that went into declaring the Declaration of Independence. I mean, when you think about it, the population of the United States back then, or colonies, United Colonies, was not much more than the population of Brooklyn. And we had all these brilliant people, and I hate to say it, men, but we had all these brilliant men who conceived of these ideas about freedom. And we have a government, you know, here over 250 years later. So have a happy July 4th, and remember what we owe July 4th to, or who to whom we owe our July 4th. Thank you for listening to us. Lawyer will be on next week, same time and places. Kevin McCullough, are you or your parents' assets protected from nursing home bills? Did you know these bills can exceed $15,000 a month? People work their entire lives to live comfortably in retirement, but when people become ill and need to go to a nursing home or receive home care, the bills can drain their assets, leaving many people bankrupt. The good news is that you can prevent that from happening if you plan in advance. Connors and Sullivan's lawyers can customize a plan that specifically protects your interests, including your home. Schedule a free comprehensive telephone consultation with Mike Connors to discuss your issues and concerns from the security of your home. Call today, 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Don't let nursing home bills take your life's savings and leave you and your loved ones bankrupt. Don't wait another minute. Mike Connors can take you through the process by telephone and start a plan designed for you today. That's 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. The preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.